Welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast, where our ultimate goal is to inspire, educate, and awaken your curiosity, and overall, to help you to become healthier and happier. We're Dave and Steve, identical twins who started a veg shop nearly 20 years ago. Since then, it's expanded into a social following of over one and a half million people, nearly 50 million views of our videos, nearly half a million books sold, cafes, farms, apps, courses, food products to help you to eat more veg. We speak to thought leaders, health experts, trailblazers and specialists of all kinds, from the ones you know to those you've never, ever heard of. Mary Reynolds is an Irish garden designer, landscape designer, author and environmentalist. She's best known for her design of the Celtic Garden at the Chelsea Flower Show in 2002, which she won a gold medal and best in show award. She's also the founder of the ARC Institute, which is an amazing non-profit organization that promotes environmental sustainability, gardening and land management. She's amazing. She really, really is. She's written several books, including The Gardening Awakening, designed to nurture our land and ourselves. Uh, she's also, there's a movie uh, made about her, a Hollywood movie called Dare to be Wild. On it's Netflix. On it's not, no, it's, it's just, you'll be able to rent it on YouTube. It's pretty cool. That's on my list to watch. Yeah, it really In is. addition to her work in gardening and environmentalism, Mary is also a public speaker and has given talks on the topics of sustainability, permaculture, and the importance of connecting with nature. She's a very important voice in terms of land management and environmentalism and what we can do with our own back gardens in terms of creating more biodiversity and feeling empowered in terms of letting nature come back to itself. This is genuinely one of my favourite conversations and Mary speaks almost like a voice of, she's a voice of nature. Like there's a gentle patience in the way she speaks. And she's, I found the profundity of what she spoke like intriguing. Yeah, yeah, it's really visceral. So uh, without further ado, we give you the wonderful Mary Reynolds. And just to correct one statement that Mary made, she said that there's 0.01% of ancient Irish woodlands left, but the correct figure, which Mary corrected, is that it's 0.1% of ancient woodlands left in Ireland. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Thanks for asking me. And uh, yeah, love to hear everything. Ready, steady, <laughs> go! <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I've admired your work and it's, it's often only when you see things from afar. Someone had mentioned your work to me before and I was like, oh, that sounds great. And someone from Wexford. And then it was someone sent me on a, t- a talk. He didn't listen. It was like, wow, that's really to the core of things. TEDx or something? or I, uh, You know, there's this idea often that it's only when you make it outside of Ireland that people in Ireland actually really celebrate you. But when you're in Ireland and you're known in Ireland, that's not enough. You're just, you're trying to get your head above the pulpit, which is not good enough. And maybe ironically, it was only when someone else said it to me that I was like, wow, I really admire your work. So I'm really honoured, or I'm delighted to be here with you. And thanks oh, for thank you. coming, which is deadly. <laughs> so like, I, I guess a good place for anyone who doesn't know Mary's work, Arc, that's all about regenerating gardens. I wonder, if could you, talk just just about how you got into all this because even just talking before where before we've kind of gone on air um you have an innate knowledge of the necessity to spend time in nature to connect with yourself yeah i guess um i grew up on a farm in wexford and i was youngest of six kids and it was a small farm my parents both worked full time as well so Life was different back then and I had a lot of freedom and I spent a lot of time on my own outside wandering around and nobody would know where you were. You know the way it was different. And it was, uh, yeah, there was a lot more trust. Freedom. Yeah, yeah, there was freedom. There was and there was more inherent societal trust. Yeah, there was, even though there shouldn't have been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in some ways. But um, I kind of had an experience when I was young in this field, which was a good experience, but I went into a, a field and I was very young and... Um, I really vividly remember it. And I went in through a gap in this little field at the top of the farm. And um, I know it was May because I remember the smell of the hawthorns, you know. And when I went through the gap, I remember feeling like something had changed. And I turned around and the gap was gone. And the hedge and the trees and everything that were there were gone. And it had closed. So there was no way out. And so... um, I wandered around the field frightened and I couldn't get out and there was no way out and I was crying and, you know, eventually I kind of got distracted by the sunshine and the meadow and the butterflies and I sat in the middle of the grass and um, after a while, you know, I was just looking at stuff and kind of 
space enough, which is what I seem to spend most of my life doing. And I noticed that I felt I was being watched and I was looking around to see who was there. And eventually I realized it wasn't people, it was the plants. The plants were all leaning towards me, looking for my attention. And, you know, nothing else happened other than I noticed that they all had their own spirits and personalities and characters the way people did. And I, I held that kind of memory and it was only when um, somebody made a film about part of my life called Dare to be Wild. It's kind of like a romantic comedy type of thing. And um, they, I was, they asked me to kind of write this real story or whatever of the, what, you know, of that film rather than the film, you know, like to go along with the film. And I was doing that and I kind of got bored. So I started writing about my work and that I remembered that image of what happened when I was a kid and I, and I wrote myself out of a job based on that kind of experience. And, um, I realized that even though I kind of had this very successful career as a garden designer and I worked all over the world for very wealthy people and, um, you know, I did really well for myself. And then I realized that, you know, gardens aren't the truth of nature they're kind of very very controlled visions of what what we want to Im implement upon the earth and we don't consider what she wants herself and so it's kind of been a slow process and then I wrote this book called The Garden Awakening about permaculture concepts of food forests and allowing the land to become what it wants to become and working with magic and old ways of working with land, you know, in Ireland and kind of intention and, you know, using, um, creating compost teas and all sorts of things like that, you know? Right. And then, um, and then one day I was working and I ended up working in a different way, still working as a, you know, designer, but designing kind of within the shapes and patterns of nature and um, allowing the, the energies to flow through them and creating really magical places, you know. But um, it was like raising somebody else's children for them. And when you walk away, the relationship isn't there. You know, mm -hmm. they have to do it themselves. And that's why I wrote that book was to try to get people to do it themselves. And then one day I was sitting at my desk looking down over my lawn and I saw um, it was winter. It was like it was kind of like now, you know, it wasn't as cold as today. But a, a fox ran past and it was daytime. And then just after the fox, a couple of hares chasing the fox, which was kind of unusual in itself. And, and chasing I, a fox, <laughs> yeah, that normal? I kept watching and there was a hedgehog and he should have been hibernating and they were all running away from something. So I went outside and I went down the end of my lane's country lane and across the road, there'd been this really beautiful thicket of a field and it was filled with hawthorns and blackthorns and gorse and wild roses and you know, all these, and you couldn't get into it. It was just thick, you know, and, um, somebody had got planning permission to build a house at the top of the field and they'd gone in with a digger and they cleared the whole thing out within minutes without any thought for all the creatures that called it home. And I stood there kind of horrified because I realized I have done this myself so many times. And that was the end of my career as garden wow. designer. Wow. Um, so it was the first time that it actually really connected with you that you forcing your vision or the vision that you're being paid or employed to yeah. force in the world that that was kind of in contrast with the animals trying to live in their home and nature trying to, yeah. or mother nature trying to Be exude herself. her femininity and whatever and look way after it is. Them. Yeah. And what I realized was that all our wildlife where do they go? Like, you know, they can't go out into agricultural land because it's poisoned and the habitats are being reefed out at the rate of knots. You know, farmers aren't supported to do anything else. And mm -hmm. um, there's a real distrust of nature and land in, in out there, you know, and everyone's afraid of being sued. So the councils are cutting down trees left, right and centre. Um, you know, nature has already collapsed in Ireland. And there's this wonderful concept called the shifting baseline syndrome. And it's, I don't know if you guys have heard no, of it. No, no, no. Shifting baseline. And then even you said Ireland, nature's gone in Ireland or something. Nature's you, already collapsed here. And what do you mean by that? I mean, I mean, our, our, our ecosystems have been wiped out. And 
the shifting baseline syndrome is the reason that we all think it's all it's fabulous because we basically live in one big massive sheep branch and you know because what happens in shifting baseline syndrome is with each passing generation their concept of what is natural has shifted and changed so my dad used to tell me about how the sun used to be blocked out for a moment as you know migrating butterflies passed overhead or wow. you know swarms of birds swarms of birds flocks of birds passed over on their migratory patterns the sun would be blocked out and now if we see one butterfly we kind of go oh it's okay there's a butterfly there's still things happening and you know we have lost 70 percent of our wildlife worldwide since 1970 you know and the web of life is collapsing around us and nobody is talking about it. And now I know there's a thing going on in Canada at the moment called COP15, but, you know, all these cops are cop-outs, you know, it's just, mm. it's just politicians slapping each other on the backs and not actually doing anything. It's, it's all how to greenwash people into believing that they're doing something. But the corporates are lining the pockets of politicians to the point and they have so much influence that they are not, they are not representing us anymore they're representing something else and and we're in serious danger so I went back inside and I started an organization or a movement called we are the ark and I called it we are the ark because you know acts of restorative kindness to the earth and it's we rather than me you know I wanted it to belong and to everyone beautiful book called we are the ark yeah and that was because I'm trying I'm you know people wanted me to turn it into a charitable organization to try and make it into a big thing but I realized very quickly into that process that it was going to be all about raising money to pay people as opposed to the movement itself. So I tried to get the movement going on my own and it's spread all around the world. Um, and we have like 1500 acre arcs in Norway, in um, America, or in window boxes in Norway. And there's um, a huge kind of movement that's growing from this idea that you literally give half of any land you have under your care back to nature and then in the other half if you can grow your own food um, and if you've more left over um, share it with your friends and family who don't have land to grow food and to create communities around growing food which is something mm -hmm. you guys understand I know but we have to step outside the industrial food farming and fishing industries which are killing everything on the planet you know and you know if you want to save the planet you're going to have to start with your own patch of it simple as that and give it back to nature so that she can take care of all the other creatures in the world that we are hopelessly independent. We're hopelessly and completely dependent upon their existence and health. And we, we don't give them any heed other than think they're cute if we see one. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like it really is true, you know. Yeah. I mean, Ireland used to be this vibrant, thriving, throbbing place. You know, when, 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 when the land was covered in, in her own choice of clothes, you know. Um, like shifting baseline syndrome, if you ask a kid these days what the woods look like, they, they really only know spruce woods, you know, the monocultural mm. crops, which are not. Um, well, they're dead of biodiversity, they're dead. really. Now, when you speak about it, I really feel like a sense of being caught out that it's like everything you say I align with. I kind of go, wow. And I'm, there's a sadness in me because. Yeah. The very like modern day society celebrates this idea that we're independent. We are the apex predator. The world is at our disposal. But ultimately, we are fully dependent on the world. And if the world, like the natural system, if it doesn't provide, we're gone. And when, when the time. Or maybe we've optimized for financial, you know, for material possessions at the expense of, yeah. you know, where we live. See, everything has to change. And people feel so powerless because what can one person do other than change their light bulbs or recycle stuff, which ends up in the sea ultimately, you know, on the way to being dumped somewhere. And it's very depressing and people feel powerless. So they shut down and they can't do anything. But what I'm offering is a real solution and it's, it's really powerful. So what happens is people build these arcs, which are very, very simple. And they put up a sign saying this is an arc with the website, which we made just to support people in, in doing this. It's just the information that's in the book. You know, people don't like reading websites, but um, the um, 
what's happened is we, we, we give them a list of things to do to support as many creatures as they can. And almost instantly their land fills up with all sorts of rooted creatures, unrooted creatures. It's like a beacon comes out of their land going, it's sanctuary here. And, and their hearts open to include all the creatures that come to share their patch of the earth and they become their family and therefore they've become very protective of it. And then when they walk outside their own garden gates, they look at their neighbors' gardens, they look at all these green spaces that we're surrounded with and they see lost opportunities and they start to become warriors in their own right. And it's really powerful. Like, And if we can try and you know, give as much land back to nature as possible. Allow her to, 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 to dress herself in her own clothes, um, with native plants, self-willed, you know, like, and then supporting her to, to add as much diversity as possible to that and create as many different layers of ecosystem maturity as possible within whatever piece of land you have. Um, you will support a massive amount of life. And if enough of us do this, you know, it doesn't take much for the whole consciousness to shift. If enough of us allow our own wildness to align with the wildness in the, in the land beneath our feet, it will shift the consciousness to a point where we actually can embrace a new way of being in this world. That's a nice one. I like that. Yeah. If you allow rewilding, it will allow your innate rewildness to well, come forth to some wildness degree. Rather than yeah, 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 of course. Like, <clears throat> well, I don't know. The Irish always knew this. Like they always knew that our, that we're just mirror reflections of the earth beneath our feet. So they used to have these wonderful rites in Ireland called the Banishree, where um, the, every year the, the, the chieftain or the king or the, you know, the leader of the, he, he, would, he would marry the earth in a kind of a ceremonial thing, you know, because he realized that people realized that he was, you know, if, if you had a good leader, then the land was abundant and flourished. But if, you know, and he was marrying the feminine, it was the balance of the masculine and the feminine, you know. But if he didn't take care of her, the land became the wasteland. And that's what we have now is the wasteland. It's just we have greenwashed it into thinking <laughs> we think it's fine, but it's not, you know, because it looks pretty. And the iconic images of Ireland are these beautiful green hills. But they're With green, they're green deserts, you know. Mm. That's it, missing the bite ever. Geez, it's hard. Like your message is hard hitting. Yeah. Like it is like, whew, you're speaking the truth, but it's hard to swallow. Like it is. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. You're like, you know. But we don't have time for me to be soft. About yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, we literally have five or 10 years. Before the whole cycle shifts the other way. Before the collapse. Mm. We like, it's like, it's like if you imagine a web and we keep taking threads out of that web. We, like there's estimates of between 20 and 200 species going extinct, extinct every single day and they're not coming back. Mm -hmm. And because everything is connected and all these creatures are all dependent on all the other creatures in these amazing ways that we don't even know, you know. And there's, there's something like 8.7, they reckon 8.7 million species in the world. That's just a guess, guesstimate by scientists. We only have um, recognized and cataloged 1.2 million of them. Wow. You know, and then we're killing them off before we even meet them. And is that animals and birds and plants? Or and microorganisms, that... plants. And, oh, wow. and plants are going extinct at a faster rate than anything else. And, you know, the wildlife gardening narrative is is helpful in so many ways but there's one big problem with what they're saying and they're telling people to buy things like buddleias or large flowery showy plants that the that the pollinators will love and yes the pollinators will love them so it's like putting a you know a fast food restaurant in your garden they will love that but, but it's, it's not, not it's native not, and not part of the ecosystem. It's not part it? of the ecosystem. So they will, so the pollinators will go to these large showy flowers, but they will ignore often very insignificant native plants that need to be pollinated as well. And they don't get pollinated, so they start to re retreat. And the thing is that those pollinators, the insects have evolved alongside these local, ins th th these local plants, native plants for millennia. And they have very specific relationships with them. And if you take away those native plants 
by not allowing them to be in there, like by weeding and, you know, putting mm. in other gardeny plants because you think they're pretty, then what <laughs> happens is the insects don't have their native plant partners to create a new generation of their own species because their larvae will only eat those. They won't eat the pretty things that we're putting in. So you'll get a big burst of food for them, but then they've nowhere to lay their eggs. So they, they all start to disappear. So you really need to, like, I'm just thinking of my own garden and it is kind of largely left wild just because it's completely neglected. Perfect. You know, it's completely <laughs> neglected and there's weeds up to my hips in some areas. Of them. I was only looking at them during the week, <laughs> but I'm kind of going, so how do you start? Like you literally, like, you know, mm. it, it was a gravel garden and there's weeds now coming up all over it. And it's like, oh, geez, either we've got to redo it or we let it turn into a jungle like or an arc or an, or an arc, arc. Yeah, yeah exactly an arc well that's a, at least there's a word now to put for it like yeah. as in you know if you want to have a working ecosystem right one that's actually healthy you kind of need to have about you know 1500 acres of land um, oh, okay wow. and so a corner of a back garden mightn't be <laughs> no no bear with me because if you're gonna have you have to have the full cycle of life there so you know in order to support lynx or wolf or something you know you this is just theoretical but the point is because you need the predators in the species, the apex predators. And we're going to have to come back to all wolves. The keystone you just sprinkle species. that word in and we're going to have to come back to that. <laughs> <Okay>. just, just <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but the point is that obviously in your little patches, we can't do that. So you have to become the wolf. You have to become the deer, become the missing species. And what that means on a very simple level is that what they do is they, they, they create um, all sorts of niches and um, different layers of ecosystems. So originally, like in, in Europe, there would have been, <laughs> it would have been elephants who would have knocked over trees, you know, and um, coppiced things naturally. And so what, what, what we're trying to do, sorry, that's going to confuse you even more, but uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you just have to basically create as many layers as, of, of ecosystem maturity as and possible. And when you see ecosystem, like you're talking about like different canopies of tree, you know, and, yeah. and when you're talking about the 1500 acre, you're talking about from the bottom, from the bushes to the small little shrubs, to the yeah. insects, to the next layer. And it, and it's that, that's what you're kind of meaning. Well, it's simpler than that. It's plant-based. So you're kind of, you've kind of got your moan bit, which is like where, the where the large mammals would have, the herbivores would have been grazing. Okay. And then you've got your, your arc meadow, which is not your showy flowery meadow. It's mm. allowing, you All know, the, the grasses five, to come up. Yeah. And the 5,000 um, um, seeds, which are present in every square foot of healthy soil, allowing them to emerge, you know, the ones that have been activated. Um, and then you have, so that's an arc meadow. And then you have, um, you know, your shrubby, scrubby areas like brambles and blackthorns and hawthorns. And then you have your, your um, woodland. Um, and so, and then in between that, all the life is in, in the edges between those yeah, yeah. systems. So, you know, you try and create as many layers as possible. Now, if you only have two layers, that's good enough. You'll still be able to support a lot of creatures. And then in between that, you do things like put in, put in water or dead wood because, you know, more life it's is food, in dead food wood. for more yeah, little, yeah, little exactly. termites or mm -hmm. composters, aren't they? Like creatures that will come in and turn dead food death matter into compost life. death yeah. they're literally they're like yeah bringing death to life they're the only thing that brings death to life well mushrooms yeah. are the only thing I think that turns death to life isn't it they're the ones that yeah them and, and the carrion creatures things that eat you know okay mammals the birds and things that eat dead bodies and stuff you know wow. um, like carrion crows that sort of thing sorry um I'm, I'm bouncing between thoughts. So, so, so in terms of back garden, so say for example, I don't have 1500 acres in my back garden. It's okay. Um, I don't need it. It's only like about the size of the room. Like it's yeah. small, <laughs> small enough little garden yeah. there. Um, and, and I just, a corner, but I go right, there's my ark and I just mm -hmm. leave it and I don't cut it and I don't do anything and it just becomes what it. However, can I pitch in, if you can be more conscientious of creating more edges, so mm -hmm. possibly water or what yeah. Mary said, possibly a dead tree log. there log yeah. or something that that can create more ecosystems and hold more biodiversity because ultimately the more biodiverse an ecosystem is the more resilient it is so you're trying to bring in as much life. variety and yeah. layers of life was what we call them layers of life ecosystems, ecosystems. so a dead chunk of tree dead yeah. chunk of tree a bit, of, a bit of like it could be water. an old book a book it with water in it. oh yeah okay <laughs> you know. well, yeah just that you 
you sink it into ground level so okay. that the, the top of it is at ground level and okay. then you put ramps in it so they can get in and out. Ramps? Yeah, because if Hedgehog falls into a bucket of water, he's not getting out, you know. Okay. Just, <laughs> you have to kind of think what they need and you have to become a guardian of your land, not a gardener. That's what I'm always saying to people. Like That's a beautiful that's, distinction. That's a, it's, a di it's a big difference. Yeah. And what happens is that you realize that, you know, my industry has to stop looking at land as a resource for their own creative kind expression, of expression. Really. Or their know? own canvas of which to draw it's their own It's not about that anymore. It's, it's about... I love the idea of being a guardian to try to encourage how much life can we hold within this space yeah. of land as well, the guardian of this. Well, mm -hmm. one, one thing which I found interesting is like we moved to our house, it could be two years ago or whatever, and we, we haven't done anything to the garden because because there's still like I'm still you're trying to get the house trying to you can live in the fix house. the house like you know we're doing up the house little by little or whatever so we haven't got near the garden mm -hmm. and I'm just amazed like we did haven't done anything to the garden like and it's kind of like gravelly and normally people would put like black plastic down it and put the gravel on top of it but there was none of that so there's weeds coming up everywhere and I'm amazed at how nature regenerates like just like if you don't sit on it and if you don't spray anything or put salt on it or anything on it like it just keeps coming up like our, like it's springing to life, this gravelly, you know, yard is. Yeah. We're trying to, she's trying to heal herself. Oh yeah. And she's doing a good job. Like, and it's really interesting. Like, cause like, if you look at places that are really compacted, you'll see certain kind of warrior weeds that come up to break up the compaction. Like your dandelion. Or yeah. Your, or deep rooted things like yeah. thistles and ducks. And, yeah. Um, and then it's, it's really simple stuff. Like, and I kind of go through it all in the book and it's very simple because I don't want people to be put off, like think that they can't do it. You don't need any money to do this. You don't need to buy anything. You just need to work with what's there. And if your land is very damaged or very poisoned, you might need to go collect some local weed seeds to reboot the system. So, so what did you say? Weed, local. weed seeds. Wheat. Weed seeds. Oh, wheat weed seeds. No, weed. Weed, weed seeds. That's my lisp. Okay. <laughs> weed seeds. Yeah. Cool. So uh, like a different variety. As in dandelion and dock leaves yeah, and thistles. as long as you're allowed, collect them. Like if you know. It's funny how we call these, like modern day society will call certain things weeds and certain mm -hmm. things like beautiful. Whereas weeds have their really important part of an ecosystem. As you said, most weeds are deep roots. So they're there to break up mm. like concrete or break up, I know. Compacted soil. Compacted soil to break it up to create more space for others. Because in essence, nature wants to turn everything into old ancient woodlands, largely, isn't it? Yes. If left its own device, yeah. woodland. But it, but it, and they're the most important arcs because all of the diversity which is missing lies in those tiny pockets of land and they so need to be protected. Um, and there's like 0.01% of them left in Ireland. As, as in woodlands? 0 one, wow. yeah. Of woodlands. Yeah. Ancient Irish woodlands, the temperate rainforests, they're almost gone. And when they're gone, everything, we've lost everything. Because all that diversity, which still exists in those tiny pockets, that's not going to come back. But like, say Andrew St. Ledger from the Woodland League and Home Tree and I think it's called, is it called Wolf, Wolfgang Forest? Wolfgang, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Forest, yeah. Um, there's so many really good people out there trying to protect the ancient woodlands and trying to expand them along riparian belts, which are like, you know, to help farmers um, kind of come on board so that these plants can move. Like the plants move very quickly, you know. They, to they, spreading. Yeah. They, so they, if you protect, create corridors for them to move, then, then you're expanding them. That's how, it, that's how it works, you know, allow them to regenerate naturally, take out any non-native plants, especially the non-native invasive plants, you know, and, um, because they take over systems, ecosystems and, and collapse them, you know, because there's no checks and balances for things like Japanese knotweed or rhododendron, which people think look beautiful, but they're killing off everything else. And, you know, the bees that go to collect pollen from them are actually getting poisoned. You know, it's not like, you know, wow. there's, they might be pretty, but they're incredibly destructive, you know. Could, could we talk more about that? So 0.1% of the land is only ancient Irish. 0 .01. 0 0.01. So, so really there's so little of it. And this is kind of ultimately that if you went back 500 years ago, right, probably pre-industrial revolution, so it must be a number of 100 years ago, maybe 60% or 70% of Ireland was, no. 
Uh, We've no proof of this now, so no, we're kind of. I'm desperate on figures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, but it was highly likely that there was lots of woodland. Well, and the whole of Ireland yeah. was covered in woodland. Yeah, you know, it's not a lot of light like coming if you through. Go to the west now. I know there would see there would have also been a kind of a, a like the last wolf I think was killed in the 1700s was it? Wow. Um, but or might have been the agency. I can't remember numbers. Yeah, sorry, yeah. that's only a hundred years difference. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there was a, there was a full set of creatures at some point, you know. And so the the woodlands would a have full been. set of creatures. Now, can we talk about this now a little bit? Because we have to talk about our friend the wolf. Well, <laughs> well just it's a bit like an elephant. Like mm. you know, I, I went to I went on my honeymoon, and we went to Namibia and Africa, and we went to these massive big areas of land where there's elephants and there's rhino. You know, these massive creatures. And I remember the guy going, "Where are you from?" I said, "Oh, we're from Ireland." What animals do you have there? And I said, "We got sheep, and we got horse." Uh, that's, and, and we have two cats in our house, you know, and and that was kind of it. And like when I think of wild animals, which we have in Ireland, like the wolf is probably the most iconic, iconic. yeah, the, the most iconic equivalent Mystical. to a tiger or a lion or an elephant bear. or or bear. Yeah, and, and I don't know if we ever had these. We did. Yeah. We, did we did a bear yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. That um, unfortunately, I mean, wolves are spreading all across Europe. You know, as a lot of farmland has been abandoned, you know, and, and there's, there is, the wolves are returning. But if you mention them here, oh my God, like it's just, yeah, but like, I mean. The well, why is that mentioned here? <laughs> well, they, kill the they kill the sheep. Oh, yeah. okay, gotcha. Yeah, but the sheep is killing everything else, oh, you yeah. know. I mean, I mean, God love the sheep, it's not their fault. Um, it's, um, it's the system that has farmers page to keep sheep there you know yeah and when you talk which i think is so interesting is because it's a system like nature is incredible and that word system you people might think of a data system or a you know there's so many different words that a system is but like it's just this incredible intricate web a bit like the human body functions mm -hmm. in such a way that is impossible for my human little brain to understand and i think it's the same with nature there's just mm -hmm. these incredible um, systems that are so interdependent on one another and we've been unraveling the system you know not knowing that we're unraveling it a bit like you know a human body gets cancer mm. and it slowly it takes a decade or longer to kind of or, you know to really gain roots and I guess we've been doing the same to the ecosystem here for probably certainly 50 years anyway oh a lot, a lot longer yeah but, but since the green revolution the aptly named green revolution What's a, so what, what, in the 70s, 70s the chemical revolution in farming oh yeah yeah okay yeah, that's when everything really went to hell and that's your glyphosate and all this mm -hmm. is that yeah yeah that's when that's when everything was doomed and you know since then we've we've lost everything really i mean the insects in the world in general have dropped by 75 percent we've lost 75 percent of our topsoil um, all since industrial revolution or industrial um, farming really took hold in the 70s and plowing, you know, all that. Yeah, we've, we've started a four acre no dig farm. I heard. And we're great. really having yeah. fun and a huge amount of hard work. We tend to love work. So, you know, to us, that's it's kind fun. of fun. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, but it's no dig and it's only true doing this like I guess growing up when we would start to grow a vegetable bed or a flower bed even at home first thing you get the forks up you turn the soil you, you break it all up you take the stones out and then you put your thing in it whereas yeah. this has been quite refreshing and very different in that you have your land you map out your bed by put your little stakes in and run your little twine or your guide wires <clears throat> and we'll put cardboard down and we'll put our little frame and then we'll pour in organic compost which was food waste which is just decomposed and pop that in and then planting that and it's been this very different process in relationship with the earth and we're trying to have as much diversity growing within it and around it and it's just hearing you talk it's like wow what you talk about hits something really deep and it almost makes me feel like i haven't been a, a good enough a guardian for our patch if but, you but even but, but even, i think about it, i think about it that like you know we we bought four acres of land and we'd been saving up for decades like you know it really is like we spent all the piggy bank on buying the bank buying the land to grow the vegetables you know. and you kind of go like when you've when you've kind of invested all the energy into it it's hard to kind of go well you know like we live in capitalism and that's the the, the governing system at the moment mm. and you kind of go well how do we like, and I'm thinking from our situation where, you know, there's a business, there's lots of people employed and all this type of thing. You kind of go, if we turn over half of our farm, mm. 
like how do we make it work you know financially that's the bit which you kind of go how does that and and I don't have the answer to that I'm, but it I'm, doesn't have to be half yeah. I mean yeah, just yeah. even the edges and yeah. and like you're saying like I have a noted garden you know and I have it surrounded by arcing, you know, and so I never have any creatures eating anything, you know, there, there's a balance, you know, because their natural predators are present. Mm. So I might have a few like caterpillars on, you know, my kales or whatever, but they don't, they only take one or two. I ask them to stick to the first couple <laughs> they usually do. And then, um, but there's loads of creatures around to eat them off, you know, because they they have homes there. Their homes are there. I've made space for them. So even if it's like a strip of, you know, and specifically arc meadow, because it's not flowery meadow. People think meadow is like all the colorful flowers and all that sort of thing. But they don't understand that there's all this local evolutionary adaptation as well. So if you if you bring in plants from far away, um, they'll be different. And so the insects that are local to that piece of land might have tongues that are too short for the plants you bring in, you know, local um, adaptations are a real thing. So you really need to work with um, what's here within around 10 miles is what's um, considered um, the best practice, wow. you know, and but leaving just allowing a strip of arc between each bed, say, you should be able to create a very healthy balance within that. And then some thicker, you know, maybe in the in the corners rather than having, you know, the square fields, you might put, um, allow, you know, bunches of thick, brambly, gorsy, you know, habitat where, you know, creatures can live and, you know, hedgehogs can come in from there and, you know, eat the slug eggs or whatever, you know, or yeah. they don't like slugs um, too much, you know, but frogs will eat the slug eggs, but hedgehogs will eat snails and slugs, but it's not their preference you know it's when they're really hungry apparently they'll eat wow. them, but they will eat them wow. and having a pond on your farm might be really helpful because then you will get a lot of creatures i mean i have a i have about six acres of arc where i built a house last year wow, well done. and it's um it's amazing you know there's um there was nothing there like it was my i'm lucky because my dad my parents gave me this field you know wow. they're dead now but they did leave me a field and um it wasn't, you know, it was heavily farmed and chemicals and all the malarkey, you know, and been resting for many years while I've been trying to figure out how to build a house and same as yourselves, you have to work away. And um, now from having nothing there, like I was sitting by my pond, which I, you know, dug the other day and there was a, a white egret landed and I saw um, uh, a white what? White egret. That's like egret. A, they're like a crane, except they're white. You know, wow. the heron. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, very unusual to see one, and um, I see bats, and it's getting dark, and an owl comes around, and there's dragonflies, and there's hedgehogs, and there's there's badgers digging up the ground all around me, looking for um, the wasps' nests and the grasses, and there's so many bumblebees. But and it's Netflix. Just, it's like, why would you leave? And like, I feel responsible for all of them. You know, and I, I, I just love it there, you know, and, and I love the land and it loves me back, you know, and I've created a relationship with that patch of earth. And see, the thing is, if, if we keep controlling our patches, what happens is you're, you're reflecting that you reflect your land. So, you know, we have, we have, we have pushed away our wildness and, and there's darkness in the wildness. Like it's not all pretty, pretty. It's like, they're eating one another. We we have we have forgotten that we are nature, and I and I don't mean that in some hippie sense. Like we are nature, and even though we're the only creature in the web of life that has n that, it doesn't matter if we walk away, the earth will go around fine. Obviously, much better without us. But now we're the most important keystone species, because what we do is so important. We have to step in and become the caretakers of all the other creatures that we're sharing this planet with. Because if we don't, we've, we, we, we won't have a future. And this future is disappearing really quickly because nobody's talking about this. Nobody's talking about the It's collapse. a hard pill to swallow. Like, I think that's why people aren't, you know, the way we They don't know it. what to do. Yeah. So that's the problem. But if, if, if everybody builds an ark, we actually might have some hope because some people have lots of land and some people only have, you know, window boxes. 
And even the window boxes can become like, you know, service stations in, in, in a concrete jungle for, you know, wild plants and insects to stop over and take, mm. you know, find a place that's actually safe for, and people get so much joy from watching their window boxes and watching the spiders and watching the birds coming to their feeding stations or whatever. And just learning that you don't have to do what you've been told. People forget you don't have to do what you've been told. They've forgotten their inner guidance, their true nature is wild and leaving the land be wild and leaving the seed heads on the, on, on, the, on the weeds and the plants and leaving them there and not cutting them back when you're told to cut them back. If you leave, say, docks, my field has loads of docks. And if you leave them, they'll be covered in, in little birds and little mammals and eating the seed heads later in the winter when nothing else is around, you know, and, and also a lot of larvae depend on those dead seed heads to finish their life cycles. So we keep tidying up and there's no life in a tidy space. It's a very simple yeah. system. Contrived, and you, sterilized in a sense. We, you, get, yeah. you, you talk about nature with such love and beauty that is so beautiful to hear. Like genuinely, <laughs> it's like the way you talk about watching the, 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 what, what, like there was the, the dragonfly. E oh, yeah. all, all these creatures. It was just like, we all once lived like that. We yeah. had this inherent reverence for the natural system. Nowadays, we're talking about the latest series that's on some television show. And we uh, obviously technology and society changes. However, I really, someone recently described how disconnected we are with nature, that we're like, we're orphaned. We're orphaned from the land. And hearing the way you talk about nature, you have this inherent connection, appreciation, reverence, which is so missing in our society. But we can all find it. And when I, mm. voices like yours are so important. Mm. We can all find it in your own patch. Like literally, like even if you don't have a patch of land, like I, if you have a balcony or... I know it sounds stupid, but you can start to create a relationship with it. Um, you can create community gardens, you know. Like how do we, uh, for, for anyone listening, goes, Mary, gorgeous, mm. I'm with you, I'm into it. Mm. How does one start to create An a, a closer relationship with nature, even just more of an appreciation, reverence for nature? Well, it comes with the intention. The intention is to be a guardian, okay? So your intention is to support this piece of land to be its true nature, not some version of events that you saw in some gardening program the night before, you know, it's, it's an intention. And you've come from that world completely. Yeah, so yeah. you're coming from, coming back home really. Yeah. And I've thrown myself off a cliff because, you know, I'm a single mom. I live in, I, I don't have people, you know, so I kind of, I just, I'm very aware that we're very, very much in danger and I'm also aware that we can fix this because if, like you were saying, if you look at how quickly nature recovers with a little support, yeah, it will be okay if we can just get on with it now. And, and if you want to save the planet, start with your own patch of it, you know, start now. And, and so how do you do it? Well, I have it laid out on the website and in the book. Cool, so, we are the ark. And if you can't afford the book, you know, it's all there on the website, you yeah, know? Yeah. but um, it's also, I ask libraries, you know, they'll order it in free if you can't get it. But um, I asked, um, the publishers are great, the American publishers. And um, the last book um, I worked with this beautiful artist called Ruth Evans. And yeah, the art's beautiful. It's about, um, I, my intention is that the book is like a children's fairy tale book. So that when you open it, you keep your heart open because it's hard for people to change, you know, and by keeping your heart open through the intention of the art in the book and the, and the words, the way they flow, it, it allows people to embrace a new way of seeing things because everything has to change. And, you know, if you can just do this one small thing, it will bring you hope when you see how quickly nature will recover, when you see how many creatures come and find you. Um, it, it just changes everything and it's such a simple thing. Wow. Yeah. One, one great example is Randall Plunkett, you know, the Lord mm -hmm. of Dunshaney. He came down and we had a great chat. We had a great, we recorded a podcast with him mm -hmm. and we went up to his land and he's the, 
I think he's I think he's maybe the second biggest landowner in Ireland and he's put 500 acres or something to that degree a massive big area of land I think it was thousands I can't remember a lot lot of land more than my little corn in the back garden Mm. but uh, to be rewilded and we went up there and walked through all the there were grasses that were like 10, 15 foot tall and he was and he could show you the root stock of them it was just it was really Mm. fun to walk walk around the land and him give us tours you know talk through all the because he was so into the just how biodiverse a dead piece of land had become in a very short period of time. And I guess he was in a different position in that he inherited all these land and, Mm -hmm. you know, a different, but his, his land stewardship, I greatly admired and thought, wow, that's the change the world needs to see. There's really good people out there. Oh yeah. One thing I like philosophically, Mm -hmm. like to embrace our wildness, connects him with this modern day ideology of being in flow instead of seeing life through what I want, what I need, what I'm going to dominate and control and create contrivance. I'm going to just let life guide me. And there's a sense of releasing your ego and just allowing it to happen. And I think when you talk about moving from being a garden designer, world-class garden designer, where you're kind of contriving these wonderful, wonderfully aesthetic spaces that aren't in harmony with nature. It's a bit like modern day life in capitalism where we're trying to create wealth so that we can have our little patch that's safe and secure. And it, it's very, from a, from a position of control or dominion versus what you're talking about more is coming from a point of trust, coming from a position of flow, coming from a position of just take me where I'm to be life, God, divine power, whatever it is you believe in. But there's an inherent trust, which is something that many people can struggle with. But then the challenge I think is that like, and that's beautiful. I agree. The world, we would all love more trust and more freedom and more all those type of things. Except I think most of us, I can, my own observations of my own life and other people's lives that I see around that the capitalism or the, the, the machine that we're part of we're moving so quick, you know, we're moving so quick just to stay afloat, you know, in terms of jobs and money and gotta pay the car and there's this bill and there's that, and there's that kind of things that there's nature tends to become like decades just fly by. Mm -hmm. And then there's another block of houses up beside in that old field where the goats were, you know, and, and you, and little by little you walk around your town, you're going, geez, there's a lot more concrete here than there used to be. And, and we've all just been busy trying to get a, you know, get what society has programmed us to say that we, a house and a job and you need to get married and, you know, and have a kid and, you know, and then tick, tick, tick. And then you kind of go, you wake up and you're 40 or 50 and you go, 43, happy birthday. Well, yeah, we're 43. Like, <laughs> you wake up and you go, what's it all for? Like, why are we so busy? Like, why are we these busy machine, busy, mm-hmm. you know, wage slaves in a sense? You know, I, that was a big question comment. Yeah, well, I was, I, I don't know what the heck it was. It was a bit of an old rant there. So sorry about that. No, it's true. Um, yeah. Because, because people have, have gone so far away from who we truly are that, that they feel lost and, 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 and people's mental health is collapsing, you know, the, and it's all a reflection of what's happening to the earth. You know, the more we destroy the true nature of, you know, the web beneath our feet, the, the more we collapse and we, we just lose our sense of ourselves, our sense of hope, our sense of purpose. Um, have to okay, question for you. Have you noticed, okay, so you were a dominant, you know, a world-class gardener that traveled the world and helped people do their gardens and all. And that was your mentality and your health and your experience then. Now, since you've kind of come home in a sense and you've had, I don't know how many years you've been queen of the arcs and you've really connected with your own land and whatever. Have you noticed your own mentality, your own relationship with yourself, your own mental health, your own health? What have your observations have been since you've been on this journey? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I suppose I've, I'm, I'm an unusual one in that I had no idea who I was or how to be myself around people. I was, I'm generally frightened of people and, um, I tend to, only actually manage to be myself when I'm on my own or when I'm writing. And so um, I've finally realized that and I've stopped trying to surround myself with people or have a relationship or any of those things. I'm just happy to be um, alone and I'm never alone because I'm surrounded by um, creatures and energies that are, you know, all present and um, 
I just am aware that I don't have to do anything but be. And when I trust in the earth and the universe, the universe, I get supported. Um, so one of the things that happened, which was quite wonderful, was that I, I got offered the opportunity to create a, a kind of a flagship park arc up in Westport House and Estate. So I'm working on that. It keeps us all going at home, you know, um, because I didn't know what else I was going to do. And that just arrived in just before I threw in the towel and went down to the local Tesco's to get a job, you know. Oh, wow. um, and so um, I'm creating a really unique, magical space up there on they've they have 400 acres and um it's 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 a it's it's a creative park which is self-willed yet woven with myth, myths and stories and everything that we do has to have an ecological function um so everything we make or every edging or path or whatever it's all going to be of support as opposed to there for practical reasons. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's really um, interesting. And everyone that's working on it, like there's so many people working on it and um, Faulty Ireland are supporting it. And Port West, the guys who, the Hughes brothers from Westport who own Port West, really, really good bunch of guys. And they're, the Tree brothers are behind it, you know. Um, So yeah, that's, been really great and so it doesn't really answer your question I suppose what has happened I have yeah in the amount of time I have in this journey which started when I told you that story from when I was young yeah everything of course I mean I didn't know I didn't know my arse from my elbow obviously when I was young and when I was a designer and when I went to do the Chelsea Flower Show in London you know um I, I really didn't know what I was doing. And I was doing that with not the best intentions, you know, to become famous or, you know, to, I did want to change things already at that point, but I, but my intentions weren't great, you know, and now I kind of don't give a shit about anything like that. I just, I just want to be at home and growing some food and not having to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> not have to talk to <laughs> You know, I love giving talks or sure. talking to you guys, you know, right. but I just can't wait to go home and hide again, you know, and that suits me. And so that's who I am. And I'm, I'm not fighting that anymore. Do you know, that's, that's it. Probably doesn't feel exhausting anymore. No, exactly. Probably feels much more uh, in flower and harmony as your patches, your six acre patches. Yeah, becoming, exactly. Or six acre arc. It's just like, whew. Just, just relax, like you're safe to be yourself. And you, that's what happens. You, know? you talk lovely about your relationship with nature because, you know, when we use the word relationship, it's usually with a, a, a friend or a, a spouse or a, whatever it might be, a loved one, you know, that's the relationship. But then to, there's not, you don't hear many people talking about their relationship with nature or their relationship with the land, which they kind of are a guardian of. Mm. And um, I remember it made me think of Fintorn up in Scotland, which is, you know, mm -hmm. it was a, an, intentional, an intentional community where they had really crap land. Like it was really poor agricultural land and it was very sandy soil. And I remember they had, there was, they talked to the fairies in the land and <laughs> really created this relationship with yeah. the land and a trust some like very, you know, open relationship with the land, which sounds, it's very hard and very woolly and sounds very woo-woo, but suddenly the land burst to life and they grew incredible food and there's this been thriving community there for decades now. I can't tell how many decades, but when you talk about your land and your arc and you talk about nature, you, it, it reminds me of Fintorn where you've got that actual relationship with whatever word you choose to use, whether it's fairies or uh, sprites or energies or whatever it might be, but that there's actual a conversation or some kind of communion with the land that goes beyond a rational, you know, I'm going to plant a carrot seed and get a carrot. Yeah. Well, one <laughs> carrot and I'm going to get 10 back, you know, but it's, it, yeah. it tends to be a, a very different type of relationship than most of us are used to having. Well, every creature is alive. Every, everything is alive and sentient and science is catching up with that. They're starting to realize that plants can see, that they can hear. Um, they've proven, they you know, in their scientific way, you know, yeah. you know, and obviously the communication beneath the soil with the mycelium and bacteria. 
Um, but there's also, they, they warn each other with, um, they release chemicals in the air to warn each other if there's danger or, you know, they, they, they only feed their young, the trees will feed their young. They also feed their dying elders, you know, um, they, they have communities. They have, that's the thing that people don't understand is that plants have communities and we've taken them all away and replaced them with things we think are pretty, you know, <laughs> like it's insane when you, when you come over to my side of the fence, you kind of go, what was that all about? You know, like the, the history of landscape design is this wonderful kind of a, a gradual guillotine. It's a, it's like a wonderful, <laughs> it's like, it's like a representation of the, the gradual guillotine we've used between ourselves and the natural world, you know, and I understand why we put in gardens initially, you know, to keep ourselves safe from, you know, things like wolves <laughs> or not wolves, wolves wouldn't have eaten people, but, you know, to keep ourselves safe from the wildness, you know, all over the world. And, but now we actually have to break down all those walls and turn around and embrace nature, because if we don't, we won't have a future on this planet. It's not like we can go anywhere else. I mean, the billionaires don't have the solution. I don't want to go and live on a barren planet. We already live in paradise. Like, you know, we just have to allow paradise to come back so that we can survive. Um, and I know it's it's very upsetting when, when you talk about it, but I mean, if, if we don't, if, there is no other issue more important than having a livable planet. There is no other issue. It's the, it's the most important work of our generation. And people keep saying things like, oh, the children can deal with it or our kids will have to deal with it. They won't. They won't have a chance. It's up to us. We're the ones who, we didn't cause it, but we're certainly perpetrating it. And we need to step up now and, 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 and do what we can. So what are the things you can do? You can, you can change banks to get away from fossil fuel banks. You can, you know, you can, you can do what you can. There's loads of things you can do. There's so many good people out there offering solutions, but this one is a really good one. Um, cause a lot of people don't understand climate, climate change science, you know, they, but they have a basic idea of it, but they will understand this, do you know, like they have to stop using fossil fuels. Obviously we have to stop using fossil fuels. We have to stop greenwashing everyone with the idea that having an electric car will solve something. It means digging up the global north, global south to create these crazy cars so that we can continue with the system that we're in, which is never going to work. Everything has to change, mm -hmm. you know, and it all has to become local, simple living. If we're going to survive, we're going to have to pull everything right back in and create very strong communities with a shit hot public transport system, electric, you know, and pull everything back in so that, you know, we can give as much land as possible back to nature and get everybody growing their own food and supporting local regenerative organic farming, you know, and everything has to be local. That's, that's our way out of this, but there's no money to be made from that. So nobody's going to say that. Yeah. That's the problem, you know. We did, so a, we did a whole podcast series on the importance of community and localization was one of the important economic um, challenges, guess, outcomes. Now, okay. you think that, that that's the solution to so many of modern day global living and digital nomad living and all this type of thing that it's like, ultimately, the answer lies in, you know, um, the more intertwined and interrelated our communities are, the more resilient we are and the more we can come together. The, the, the thing which I love so much about your solution is that it's start with your own backyard because mm. it's so easy to kind of um, look out and go, oh, it's this and it's that. And if you did that, but it's like, no, start in your own backyard. If you've got a backyard, mm -hmm. you know, give it back, leave a patch of it yeah. for nature and actually start with your own backyard rather than being someone in a glass house throwing stones. Exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. So what are you going to do with your backyard, Dave? Well, it's currently been rewilded for the last year and a half. So I guess <laughs> I'll just keep neglecting it for another while and see what happens. I'll, I'll get you I'll, a big I'll piece of wife, I'll talk to my wife when I go home. We'll get, get, get a big piece of a dead tree and we leave it in the corner. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah it's, cool. but it's not just about neglect, it's about support. So yeah, it's okay, about support. You know, mowing a path through those weeds or, yeah. um, and then, you know, making maybe making a thorny bit further back or, you know, collecting seeds and increasing the diversity of what's there, you know, okay, it's simple yeah. stuff, but it, and like you say, dead wood or leave the leaves, you know, get rid of the leaf blowers there. They burn up and kill so much larvae that are finishing their life cycles in the leaves. 
you know, and the those leaves are like a winter blanket. It oh, makes yeah. homes for so many creatures. Yeah, bumblebees and stuff. Yeah, they yeah, all... Hedgehogs, loads of things need those to survive the winter and the earth needs them. You know, the earth a needs blanket, them. Yeah. Keep the frost up. And returning the nutrients back, you know. Wow, yeah. Um, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, when I think of... Uh, my front front yard like it really is just a dead a dead a dead zone like it kind of is you know it's yeah. where cars were parked there for the last 10 years or something or 15 years well those and that year of, year of weeds will have done a wonderful job you know yeah they really will the roots will be breaking up the soil and returning the nutrients and you know bringing like she's incredibly intelligent you know she, she like we don't really know what we're doing you know we just have to let support her to do what she wants so like people get really upset if they have nothing but um thistles or dandelions but if you if you just leave it it will come back into balance every year there'll be less of them and there'll be something else you know the only problem is if there's non-natives they they have to be taken out and how do you find out which what's because now like I'd know what a thistle is and I'd know what a dandelion is and I'd know yeah. a few things like that. But then I remember mom used to have these plants in the garden. She used to call them the erection plant because it was this <laughs> massive and it's definitely not indigenous because it just grows really quick and really tall and really straight. What was that? The alien plant. Yeah, mom used to call mom the, big the erection used plant. To call it the just, horn. Went, just like in three months, it just shoots straight up and then it'll flower. Oh, go away. So uh, that's... Uh, I don't know if you oh, know that. what the erection plant is. No, I've never heard of that <laughs> one. No. Yeah. Look, there's non-native <clears throat> invasive plants. It's very easy to look them up. Okay, um, yeah, I've got an app actually. And things too. like knotweed and, you know, and there's certain ways of dealing with them that don't spread them. So you really, you just have to do a little bit of research so that you kind of know what you're doing. But they don't move at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so it's easy to deal with them in a small place, you know. Um, you just have to keep at it. And that's our job. There's work involved in protecting your land and supporting it to come back into balance. You, you can't really just neglect it. So arcing isn't about neglect, it's about support. But it's about looking at land differently as opposed to how can I be pretty? <laughs> it's, mm. it's about how can it be, you know, a home for beautiful. as many creatures as how possible. How can it be beautiful? It's it true, be true beauty. That's what and it and is. And it's a good yeah. reflection on us as a society, how much we're caught up in the aesthetic of life and the surface of life yeah. rather than the actual, the depth and significance of life. Totally. You know, yeah. that we're caught up with, oh, my garden needs to look beautiful as opposed to I'm a guardian of this land. How can I create as much diversity so that it thrives? Yeah, that's it. And how did the yeah. book come about? Well, I found, um, we have a, a Facebook group, you know, We Are The Ark, you know, which is run by bunch of people I've never met um but I absolutely adore and um um so we like they're my admins as such you know and um but so many people just didn't really know what an arc was and it was quite confusing for a lot of people so even though all the information is on the website I thought if there was a book there's more hope of them actually reading it it's a manual you know and it it kind of makes it very simple it breaks it down for people because I think people get really confused and mm. it's not about neglect, you know, or it's not about um, a bunch of weeds or, you know, it's how to make as a diverse system as possible. And, you know, if, if all you can do is leave it, that's better than a garden, you know. Mm. Better than just grass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, how to, you know, just people don't know anymore what's natural. And and is it true, like, because um, how... I, I've been told that grass, like a typical lawn, which people have that only came about because people were, you know, it was a, a, a chance of standing out amongst your neighbors to say that I'm so wealthy. I don't need to grow vegetables in my garden. I'm just going to grass that's exactly because what I'm happened, better yeah. than you. Mm -hmm. that's, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Now it's kind of just the norm, like people have grass. Yeah. And it's, and in, in America, <clears> particularly <throat> they have homeowners associations, which, you know, Initially, I was thinking, how are we going to get past these guys? You know, they, they, they decide whether you can, what plants you have in your garden. They oh, fine wow. you if you don't mow your lawn. They fine you if you have a bird box, which is not acceptable oh, wow. or really controlling and really dodgy. Um, but actually, there's the few members of the group who have learned how to approach them. And there are people in every avenue of life now who, who realize that everything must change and and they just need some support from outside 
to support them Great to make change inside. You a know? bit like that it's supporting the nature to come back. It's like supporting one of the change that yeah. we have to collect. We are all part of the human system and we need to collectively, yeah. you know, move the dial and encourage and Connect with our wildness. Yeah. And who we truly are, like our true nature, you know, and our true nature is one of guardian because like I was saying, in terms of the web of life, it doesn't matter if we're here. The only reason we have to be here is to be caretakers of all the other creatures that live here because otherwise we don't get to stay. And that's what happened is we've forgotten that that's our job. That's yeah, why really we're in the forgotten. mess. We're in. I think our job is to make money to pay for the rent, to buy the food. To, to consume. The... Yeah, yeah. That word is puts shivers down my spine. You know, consumers, we're consumers. We have to, <laughs> we have to stop consuming. We're eating ourselves like <laughs> out of existence, abortion. you know, and the solutions we're being offered are consumer solutions and they're not solutions. They're greenwash. Mm. You know, if you look into them and you look at the, the cycle or the circle of production versus what comes out of it, it's not a solution. I know. And solution is simple. Um, last thing. I love your hair. Thanks. It's so wild. <laughs> it's so fitting. Like it really is. And you, you look just, like you could when you, you, look, look, like your, a, you look like you open you could your handbag and there's a shit in there. It's not, it's not like you open <laughs> your handbag to put in your mascara. You open I, your handbag. And, do you want you a hatchet or do you want a, like, a screwdriver? What do you want? Like, as in you're oh so practical and so a warrior. You look like, like the lead singer of a band or a pirate. Like, I think you look one of these. You just look like you are head of a revolution. Like, you look class. I am. Yeah, I know. I know you are. That's why I said it. I chose those words intentionally. <laughs> Thanks very much. So no, Mary Reynolds, great. you are wonderful. I'm yeah. really grateful you yeah. came. Oh, to so good, so good to meet you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. And so your book, so there's a Facebook group called We Are the Ark. Yeah. You're on Instagram. The book is available on the internet. Yeah, and yeah. and in bookshops when they come back into the shops. Hopefully, it's okay. a very in Ireland, beautiful book. in Ireland, all around the world, all around the world. It is beautiful. Like it honestly is. It's really, and really pretty. such an important message. So timely and so important. Yeah. And yeah. if you can't afford it, there is always the library. Or yeah. the website. The library yeah. or the website, where all the information is in the website, yeah. it's just not as pretty. And people have to make their own signs, you know, because um, although I would like to try and make some for people, but it's really hard because I kind of tell them to make them out of recycled stuff or whatever they have. And actually, if you look at the Facebook group, there's this album of, you know, some people send in their pictures of the signs. It's just amazing. And the signs say arc. They say, this is an arc. This is an arc. Yeah. Oh, this is an arc. But, yeah. Act of random kindness. Restorative kindness. Uh, act yeah. I love the way the font in the book is quite hot, like quite big and there's loads of pictures. It's there's really, loads of pictures. Yeah, and like it just really draws me in. I'm not like, oh, that's intimidating. It's like, yes, maybe I could read that with the kids. <laughs> I think me and the kids could read this. Yeah. Uh, well, I've noticed over the last decade, like my capacity to read a book, like to, to finish a book gets less and less I as know. the decade passes. Like I, I'm, I'm reasonably good at starting them or <laughs> buying them. Them. I'm not bad buying at buying them. them. I'm good really at collecting good them. <laughs> but I'm finishing them is a challenge. So font size is very important. And pictures. Yeah. <laughs> pictures. I'm with you. Meet yeah. your sister. Yeah, I've started <laughs> writing a book that's mostly pictures and it's got about a thousand words in it. Oh, right. perfect. Probably less, actually. I'll yeah. read that one. <laughs> yeah, you can read it in an hour. So that's my plan. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, this has been wonderful, Mary. You're an inspiration. You are, you know, you Thanks are a pirate <laughs> in the best sense of the word. Driving change, positive change. Thank you. It's lovely yeah. to meet you guys. Thanks yeah. for having me. Thanks a bit. Yeah, here, here. Yeah. Uh, I've actually written to the Mary Reynolds fan club and I am now number one fan. I think she's incredible. Really, yeah. what a voice, what a legend, what an important advocate for something that we are intrinsically a part of. So yeah, as, as she said, like really look at your own back garden. If you have somewhere where you live where there's a bit of land that you can rewild a certain portion of it. And I love the paradigm shift. Instead of you're not a gardener, you're a guardian. A guardian, yes, there we go, that's beautiful. So check out Mary's work, The Ark, it's uh, not for profit and it really is, the, it, and, and her book on it is just incredible. And, and even it's the so movie beautiful. made about her, you know, Dare to be Wild. I'm, I'm going to watch that this week, so. Yeah, so I hope you really enjoyed this and thanks a million for your time and attention. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Thanks for being part of this podcast because, uh, yeah, we're so grateful to be able to host it. Yeah, wishing you a great day ahead. Bye, 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 bye. bye, 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 bye.